Welcome to Worldwide Bible Class. I'm Pastor Wolfmuller. We are studying the life of Jacob together with Martin Luther. Let's get into it. So we're in Genesis chapter 32, this amazing text where, and I think we mentioned last week that I'd forgotten about it, how, I mean, I'm not even sure I even noticed it, because it's this chapter is when Jacob's going to wrestle with uh, Esau. No, Jacob's going to wrestle with the angel on his way to see his brother Esau, and so you're you're getting ready for that because that's big drama, but you we it's easy to miss the first couple of verses here. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, "This is God's camp," and he called the name of that place Mahanaim, so the, which God's camp. So that the Lord, as he leaves Laban, he gets this relief, and now he's going to. He's going to be visited by the angels, who are, and he's going to have this confidence that God is with him, this great joy. There's joy whenever the angels are there. There's this joy. Uh, and Luther talked about this last week. We were studying it, how the Lord sends his angels to guard and govern and protect. And it's great. It's so good. I was thinking about this, by the way. This is a side note, a worldwide Bible class note, is that I'm always trying to keep the text of the Scripture a bigger font than the text of Luther. And that is an intentional thing because we always are honoring the scriptures more than the words of any other man. So I was thinking I had to adjust that to get that that proportion back right this morning. And I was I was thinking about how that's a important thing. Good a good reminder. Anyway, this then is the doctrine taught in the passage. So this little passage, what's going on? What is the Lord teaching? The angels are ministering spirits and servants of creation. And remember that Luther talked about the, the first and the second, the high order of the angels, the lower the angels, the the their primary work and their and their lower work. They fight for the safety and welfare of the world and the godly. This is their lower office. Their higher office is to sing glory to God in the highest. And we praise thee, O God. So the glory to God in the highest, that's what the angels, the Gloria, um, the Te Deum, we praise thee, O God. Uh, so we know that a couple of times, in fact, when we see the angels, we're, they're often singing. When they appear to the shepherds, when they, uh, when they, whenever we get a glimpse into heaven, Isaiah, holy, 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 and also in, Re in Revelation, the same hymn, holy, holy, holy. In heaven, likewise, they see the Father's face. Matthew 18, that's where Jesus is saying, no, um, don't despise the little ones for their angels see the face of their father in heaven. It's a beautiful, that's a beautiful passage. So, uh, wait a minute, what happened? There we go. They do this, uh, this they do to the glory of God and to their own joy and that of all believers. Now, I think we 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 studied joy in worldwide bible class when was that were any of you here for the joy study was that like 3 years ago we're right at the beginning i found by the way this is just a personal thing but i was looking for some notes on how to do the the 3 hour the treore good friday service and i came across the 
letter where I wrote to the church elders here where I had the idea of the worldwide Bible class right at the beginning of COVID. And I said, I hope it will start it during COVID and I hope it'll continue afterwards. It was, it was 2020. So I guess we've been at it for almost four years now, but we did one of our studies at the very beginning on joy. We did one in hope on hope also, but looking at joy and how the angels have joy. This is what Jesus talks about in the, um, it's what Jesus talks about uh, in the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin, how the angels have joy uh, over one sinner who repents so that we have this, I mean, it's normally, when we think of the, when we think of joy, we don't, I don't know, when we think of the angels, I don't know that's the thing that we think about, but it is what we think about. Oh, very, Chris, I'm just cap captivated by this chat here, Chris. Uh, he says, this is a reversal of the social gospel or pietism. Luther says here that the angels, the worship of God is a higher office and serving man is the lesser. Yeah, the social gospel would say, no, no, the higher office is serving of the neighbor. That's interesting. I got to think about that. So that the angels have joy and the joy of the angels is not joy over their salvation. They're, that's locked in. The joy of the angels is over our salvation and our repentance. And that we enter into that angelic joy when we rejoice over those who are being saved, over the salvation of others. It's amazing. They well understand the wondrous government of this life, namely how the good fortune of the ungodly agrees with the adverse fortune of the godly. Now, this hints at what Luther was talking about uh, earlier, and we had it in this discussion last week, especially of, is it, it's Psalm 73, Pastor Jernander reminded me, and I'm trying to remember that psalm, where I almost, my feet had almost slipped when I'm considering the, the how well the wicked do and how poorly the godly do. You just look at the world and it seems like things are out of balance. But Luther says that there's a, an agreement there, but it's hidden from us. We can't see how the good fortune of the ungodly and the adverse fortune of the godly, how they agree with one another. But the angels see that wondrous government of God. We cannot understand it in this life of the flesh. But at the end of the world and after this life, we shall see the most beautiful harmony and concord of this administration of how God was dishing things out according to his good pleasure and for the glory of his name and for the comfort of his people, but we, we can't see it. We can't understand it. Luther's going to give us a wonderful example. There, the, I, I've been looking for examples like this ever since, alas, I have to admit to you all that I used to listen to Ravi Zacharias, boy, and boy, and it, you know he's an apologist, Indian guy, and he then he died, and then it turned out that his life was just a scandalous disaster, just heartbreaking uh, for so many people, and and it's like I now he used to hey, it's so many things that were helpful teaching, and I don't even I don't I don't know what to do with it, but he used to have this picture of a rug being woven like an Indian rug or a. A Turkish rug. And if you look at it from the backside, it just looks like chaos and disaster till you turn it over and you see this beautiful pattern that was emerging. That's the that's the kind of the picture of how it is. We're we see the we see the rug from the backside and we don't see the beauty that's being woven together. 
so that God is this master weaver. Well, Luther's going to give us a picture here, so I'll maybe just use Luther's picture of a of a symphony. And just as the rustic, so the guy from the country who hasn't been trained in music or anything else, if he were to listen to the symphony, it sounds like a cacophony. It just sounds like chaos. You can't sort it out. So to the rustic, he doesn't understand the wonderful symphony of so many sounds and organs or the lyre because he's ignorant, so ignorant of the whole science of harmony. So also we judge that all things are being carried along haphazardly. We think that God is asleep and the devil's awake and reigning. So we look at life and it looks to us like a cacophony, like crazy chaos. We, we don't understand. It looks like everything's haphazard. And the temptation, by the way, the temptation is to try to see the hidden order of things. This is part of the conspiracy theory mind. I've been thinking a lot about conspiracy theories lately and the conspiracy theory mind. And because it's because I probably I'm tempted towards it and probably a lot of you are as well. And and a lot of a lot of Christians are and a lot of conservatives are. So if you're Christian conservative, it 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 draws you over and especially been kind of working with some of these guys, trying to work with some of these guys who are who are tempted past like Christian nationalism to this white nationalism and Nazi sympathizer stuff and and all the conspiracy theory stuff connected to that. So here, here's the point is that we're, because things just look chaotic, we're trying to figure out, well, what's the ordering, what's the governing principle? Who's really in charge? Uh, but here's the point is that the order of the, of the, of history, the order of the world is hidden from us by, by God's design so that we would walk by faith. So that God, we think that God's asleep, the devil's awake and reigning, everything looks haphazard. At the same time, the judgment of reason makes its presence felt. It determines that neither God nor man is the ruler of this world, but that human affairs take place by chance. This is the wisdom of the flesh, not that heavenly and inestimable knowledge of God's government, which shows that the number of those things which are preserved is greater than the number of things which perish in the world. And likewise, that God's goodness is greater than the devil's ill will. So that we see in this world that the Lord, in fact, is governing things according to his good pleasure and his good will. We just don't see it. We are called to walk by faith and not by sight. Flesh, oh, th this is a really important point that we don't want, you just don't want to miss. There's, uh, Luther does compare uh, the things which are preserved than the things which perish. So the Lord is the one who's the Lord is the one who's preserving. The devil is the one who's destroying. God, by the way, is a this is he's the conserver, the protector, the defender. He's the preserver. So that there's more that's preserved than that which perishes. But we are always drawn to notice the thing that perishes. It's it's an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, we watch the news. And they don't report on the however many people who weren't murdered that day, but on the one who was. Now, I'm not saying that that's what you should do. But here's the point, is that we are naturally drawn to the things that are broken. And and probably because those broken things need our attention. You know, you don't, 
you don't notice if you break your finger, you don't you you don't notice that you have nine other fingers that aren't broken. And in fact, it doesn't help, does it? When you have a broken finger to try to balance it out, you're like, well, I got this one, I got pain in this one, but all the other ones feel fine. So it should take it. No, it doesn't work like that. You just, you feel the pain of the thing that's broken as you should, because you have to give special attention to those things that are broken or out of order or whatever. It's fine. But the result is that we forget all the things that are, that are kept, that are working right. Lowe says, this is the important exercise of our sight to stay in his word, to study and courage, to get better spiritualized. Exactly. So that, so that we recognize that even though there are things that the devil destroys, there's so many more that God preserves. Fleshly reason still remains fixed in the saints so that we still have our flesh. And that flesh is connected to our reason. And it causes us to waver when we see such great confusions and the dissimilarity of fortune, in other words, the, the, the wicked are blessed and the righteous seem to always perish and have trouble. This comes to pass because we are not yet in that light which the angels enjoy, and we do not yet perceive how sin and righteousness, death and life, darkness and light come into agreement. So that the angels have this profound wisdom of knowing how the Lord is working all of these things together. But we are not in that light yet. We can't see it. We're on the wrong side of the rug. We are the, These things are hidden from us. Now, we have to be content to know that they're hidden from us. That's You see, that's the temptation. To always try to get access to the things which we're, which we're not supposed to know. Let us therefore learn the government of the angels. Sorry. Let us learn that the government of the angels is certain and that the devil's ill will is overcome by the boundless mercy of God who preserves this natural order of things against all the raging and every assault of the devil. For this we see in all areas of this life. The father of a household at times incurs the loss of cattle, poultry, money, but he retains his house and fields and the most important part of the property. So you see what happens is that something bad will happen, but it's, but it's not the most bad. There's still things that are good and even look, you know, even take their life, goods, fame, child and wife, let these all be gone. But still, most of the time you lose, you, the, the hurt is just a partial hurt. Not everything is destroyed. And we, but again, we notice the bad thing. Thus, the great ornament of this town. Now here, this is interesting that Luther's going to discuss Wittenberg. I found this amazing. Oh, but before maybe before I get there, there's a there's a trick, and and you've noticed this before. I was thinking about it this week. You know that tr it's the trick of the bar graph, and and this maybe helps illustrate this point. Is that if you know you have a like, well, how are things? Uh, here's time. And here's things. Are they good or are they bad? You say, boy, here's here's things going from good to bad. And you see it there. But what happens is you can adjust this scale. So I was looking at I was looking at some guy trying to make some argument, and he was trying to make the two lines, and you just adjust the scale. Because let's say you went from, I don't know how you rate good and bad, but let's say you went from like 
1,002, well, let's make it simpler, 1,017 to 1,006 or something like that. And it looks like this dramatic thing because your scale is one, you know how this works, 1,000 to 1,020. But let's just zoom out and let's make the scale uh, zero to a to a thousand to to get it in there to two thousand, and now you're it looks like this. You can't even see the decline because you're because of the perspective is different, and this is what it is. It's like this is how the how the devil wants us always to lo totally lose perspective because we're just looking at the things that change and we're not realizing all the things that remain that are that are still a blessing. Are you guys like, look, don't use math. Those of you who like math are like, Pastor, you have no idea what you're talking about. And those of you who don't like math are like, Pastor, I have no idea what you're talking about. So anyway, th this is the point. We're always drawn to the negative things and not the things that, that are there. And so we can't see how the Lord is working this out. Okay, so now Luther's going to talk about... He's going to talk about Wittenberg. I thought this was really interesting. This, Thus, the great ornament of this town is its university and the assembly of learned men who are engaged in the study of heavenly doctrine and the liberal arts. Now, this would be Luther at the university lecturing to those assembled learned men engaged in learning the heavenly doctrine and also the liberal there at the University of Wittenberg. The University of Wittenberg, by the way, was pretty new. I think it was started, maybe someone can get the dates on this, but it was started by Frederick the Wise in like 1490-something or whatever, maybe even 1500-something. Um, Frank says, we learned that in college statistics, how to know when a scale is trying to spin the data. That's right. So uh, uh, you, you, uh, the University of Wittenberg, where Luther was called, was it was a pretty young, new university. But it was the the goal of Frederick the Wise to build up this university. That's why he wanted Luther there, and it became the place where the Reformation doctrine was. Well, I don't, it was the Wittenberg theology. In, in some ways, we should say we couldn't. We shouldn't call it the um, the. Reformation theology, or even the Lutheran theology, it's really the Wittenberg theology and the Wittenberg theologians. It, it that's it's the University of Wittenberg where this started. And he says, here we have this great ornament, this great jewel. We have all these men studying the scriptures and rejoicing in the scriptures and delighting, uh, um, and delighting in the scriptures. But mixed in with these, they're scoundrels who don't recognize that they should live soberly and modestly in the midst of this assembly. So they've got a bunch of guys running around who are drunk and, uh, and uh, kind of, I don't know what, fooling around, living uh, kind of a light, an unhinged life. And I don't know if some of those guys had maybe wandered into the classroom <laughs> where Luther's talking. Maybe this has to do with students. Maybe this is just people in the town. They live in the midst of this assembly, in the shrine of the muses, as it were. Can you imagine calling Wittenberg the shrine of the muses? So here's this holy place, and here the un unholy are in the midst of it, in the sanctuary of God and angels. But as though they were in the midst of the cyclops and the centaurs, they raise a tumult and dishonor the excellent assemblies of teachers by their depraved morals and scandals. So that you have running around Wittenberg 
uh, uh, faithful, holy, good people, and then you have scoundrels, rogues. And you say, well, why is it? Why is it mixed together like that? God in and the angels see in what manner this dissimilitude is in agreement. So this is how the Lord orders things. Perhaps if the time for punishment and the destruction of the school is not yet at hand, it's a kind of temptation which we'll see shortly, and the Lord will grant us other fruits and blessings from those who live a godly and moderate life. In other words, who knows? The Lord will probably punish us for this and take away the school, and then we'll have to figure something else out, which is what we're, I suppose, doing down here in Texas, too. Uh, uh, who, the, and the Lord will get, oh, yeah, here my All right, so far, boy, more people coming in. Sorry, I'm trying to keep up with the people jumping in here. Um, so far concerning the protection of the angels, knowledge of this and confidence in it is especially useful and necessary for God, uh, for the godly. The protection of the angels. It's not something that we talk about. It's not something that I preach about that often, but should preach about more. You, Some of you here at St. Paul were reminding me about that uh, after the study last week. Say, hey, we got we to gotta hear more sermons on how the angels protect us. Knowledge of this and confidence in it is especially useful and necessary for the godly. Even as Jacob has caught sight of these heavenly hosts with great joy and now rejoices and exalts because of the conquest of all the troubles and devils under his wicked father-in-law, Laban. He is joyful and secure in the Lord. He has the angels as associates and witnesses of this joy. This is so great. So that the Lord gives Jacob this glimpse that the angels are there. You're with the angels, Jacob. And now the angels are his, his companions on the way, and they're witnesses of this joy. They, they behold it. So, so good. Uh, Jerome says, it's how the climate change folks fool people into believing the earth is warming, the scale they use. It's, yeah, it's all a matter of scale. I know nothing about climate change. I'm so happy to be ignorant about it. Okay. Now, the common vicissitudes and changes in this life of the saint should be carefully observed. Now, here in this, you know, vicissitudes, this is the ups and downs. The In sign language, it's this. Oops. It's a, it's, it's just a, this is just how it goes. Sometimes high, sometimes low. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Sometimes rich, sometimes poor. Sometimes healthy, sometimes sick. Sometimes light, sometimes dark. This is the this is the ups and downs of this life. And we're on a pretty, you know, Jacob has now finally gotten rid of Laban. This is a pretty high point. But it's pretty soon going to... Now, it's amazing how Jacob is thinking, oh, the angels are with me. God is with me. I'm free from Laban. I'm going to go see Esau. I bet things are going to go great. Going to send him a message. Hey, we're heading that way. And then Esau sends the armies. Esau's coming. Esau's coming with uh with 400 men. Ah, it's an uh it's an amazing thing that the, here's it goes from this high to this tower. So that's what we have to note this. 
The changes in the life of the saint should be carefully observed. At one time, they're confronted with happy and enjoyable experiences. At another time, with sad and troublesome ones. Alterations, alternations of this kind occur also in all of nature. For example, day and night, light and darkness, mountain and valley. In Psalm 104, the mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place which thou didst appoint for them. Sometimes we hear what delights us. If not in the world, at least in heaven, through the word of God. At other times, temptation and affliction of the spirit return. To these alternations, the godly must become accustomed. For a wonderful change will follow immediately. Furthermore, and so we have the Laban down, angels up, Esau down. Ooh. I take the noun Mahanaim, not as a common noun, but as the proper name of the place in the Holy Scriptures. That's how our addition uh, in the ESV does it also when they say it's Mahanaim. Uh, this is to be especially noted because this is where David borrowed the thought of Psalm 37. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. So how great is this? You know, we see oftentimes the New Testament quoting the Old Testament but looks the Old Testament also quotes the Old Testament. So Luther says, when David's thinking about this in Psalm 37, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. He's thinking of this text in Genesis 32 about how Jacob saw the angels and says, this is God's camp. The angel marks off a camp and builds a rampart around the godly. This is one of the special and most memorable consolations in the Psalms and should be applied to our advantage. And yet I do not see that I'm surrounded by the ministry of angels, you will say. In fact, I feel the contrary. So what do I see and what do I feel? I don't feel like the angels are all around me. It seems to me that I have been handed over to the power of Satan and brought down to hell. So what I experience, what what my seeming is, is the uh, is the power of the devil. But you should not come to that conclusion. By no means. You have Psalm 37. Sorry. Psalm 34. Let me make sure I'm quoting it right. It's just right up here. Psalm 34, verse 7. Your seeming has to be, your seeming has to be put against what God's word says. By no means should you come to that conclusion. For if you have been handed over to Satan, he would not allow you to survive even for an hour. He would drive you headlong into all outrageous crimes. Indeed, he would not even grant you the time to involve you in crimes and sins, but would kill you immediately. <laughs> so Luther says, look, if you were handed over completely to the devil, you wouldn't even have time to sin because you'd be dead. But the fact that you are alive, look at this. You owe to the defense and protection of the angels. Anything beyond immediate destruction is a gift from God, a withholding of the devil's hand, because he wants nothing but utter, complete, and immediate destruction of everything good that God has created. That that does not happen shows that the Lord is working through his angels. But if you must depart from this life and succumb to the fury of Satan with God's permission, it's still a great blessing because you have God comforting and consoling you through the word. Take they our life. Again, Psalm 46. 
a mighty fortress. Take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Let these all be gone. This consignment into Satan's hands, which is held up to your eyes and heart, is a temptation for an hour and a moment of time, not for your perdition to try you, but for your salvation and endless gain. So that you have to experience this by the Lord's will. You have to experience like this life is like this world and your own life is run by the devil and the demons. According to the Lord's will, not, not to send you to hell, but to, to bless you for the work of salvation. It is as Christ says in John 12, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So this life is a death. So Christ was also delivered into the hands of robbers, but only for an hour and for salvation accordingly. If you feel that you are being vexed, this is the seeming and the seeing. If it feels to you like you're being vexed and tempted by the devil, pray and give thanks that you've not been consumed, but only tried and proved. According to the statement in Lamentations 3, it is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. We read in 2 Corinthians 4, we are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, etc., Notice the contrast here, right? We we are we are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. This is what the the devil would do: forsake us, destroy us, d d destroy everything. So we have a bit of affliction, but it's only a bit. And now it's for our it's for our good, not so that we would be consumed. Job's example teaches the same thing. The devil at first takes all his property from him with his children and leaves him a peevish, irksome, and abusive wife. <laughs> Remember how Job's wife said, curse God and die. Irksome. That's just not, all three of these words are not words that I use, but well, abusive, I suppose I use that. Peevish and irksome. I should probably, we should try to, this is your assignment this week, is try to use the words peevish and irksome in a sentence, naturally. <laughs> peevish, uh, curse God and die. He said, you're speaking as one of the foolish women speak. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Should we receive good from the Lord and not evil? So he also afflicts his health with a terrible ulcer. Nevertheless, the devil says to God, have you put a hedge about him? Job 10. Have you not put a hedge around him in his house and all that he has on every side? Here he complains that the godly and the ungodly too are surrounded by a wall. With silent indignation, he threatens destruction to body and property, as though he meant to say, if Job were in my hands, I would show what I could do and how he should sound forth your praises. <laughs> I would bring it to pass that he would curse you to your face. But the Lord permits him to torture Job's body, to take away his goods, but not to take his life. There's a hedge around us that the Lord has placed there, that the angels are defending, that you can't see, and I can't either. But we know from the scriptures it's there. The angels encamp around the godly, and we have that confidence. Accordingly, examples of this time, 
mankind, teach us that all the malice and vexation of the devil is only instruction and chastisement. So why is the Lord doing it? To, ch to chastise us when we've done wrong and to instruct us in the way of wisdom, both in faith and hope and also love, by which we are aroused so that we do not snore and become listless and are thus overthrown among those who are half asleep. This is a reminds me of that C.S. Lewis thing where he says that God speaks to us in our something and he whispers to us in our something, but he shouts to us in our pain. <laughs> I don't remember how he speaks in whispers, but he, he the Lord wakes us up with our troubles. What's the example? I know that whenever I'm going to visit someone who's mourning or who's suffering or who is, who is sick in some way, I know that I don't have to remind them to pray. It's always this, Pastor, we, we have prayed more in the last month than our whole life combined. Isn't that right? I think I've mentioned to you guys that when I had, so when I was so sick with COVID, I was thinking about this last week because I was down in Houston. Some of you were there. That was really nice to see you all for that a life conference down in Houston. And um, I was thinking about the, the old COVID sickness. And there was not a time in my whole life where I felt like God was as close and kind as I did when I got so sick. It was great. Uh, in that way, it was really great because I just I knew the Lord was right there taking care of me and Carrie and everyone else taking care of me so it was, it was just so that the lord wakes he so that we're not half asleep so that we we're, we're spiritually awake suffering is a call to arms at the same time however this doctrine is confirmed and remains sure and certain that the angels are god's armies regardless of the fact that many evils occur in this life because of the evil angels so we're confessing rejoicing uh in the angels in the protection of the angels and that the Lord uses them to protect and keep us. All right. The next section now is, so it's all good, right? All good. Uh, Jacob's, he's um, he's living large. He's, he's done with Laban. He's getting ready to go back home. And he's going to send the message before him to Esau. Uh, uh, and he's, and it's going to be, well, it's seemingly nice. Here's a gift coming back home. But the response is going to really shock him. Now, Luther, his understanding here is that Jacob is going to think that Esau is going to be, um, what? Jacob is going to be reconciled. He's going to be, sorry, Esau is going to be reconciled to Jacob. He's not going to be upset. So we'll see it here. Uh, I'm just looking at the time. Three, let's let's do a little bit more, and then I'll I might. Well, here, let me see, check the chat. Um, John says, "Is there a distinction between serving our neighbor and worshiping God?" I was hungry; you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty; you gave me something to drink. Chris, uh, the conversation. Let me just say that so that the, the um, John talks about this. He says, "How can you say I love God who you don't see when you don't love your neighbor who you do see?" So we love God by, by loving the neighbor that God has given to us. So when we're asking, "How do I?" serve God. We can't 
go to heaven and give him something. He doesn't need anything anyways. We serve the people that God has given us. So our service for our neighbor is our service to God. Our love for our neighbor it ought to be our love for God. The problem is the, what the social gospel does is it says that forget love for God, forget worship of God. We we only, it's it's just the brotherhood of humanity. It, it just reduces uh, worship to good works and not to faith. And that's the big problem. Uh, Lee asks, is it proper to pray as Paul did to turn someone over to Satan? I ask this as a very dangerous, but maybe sometimes necessary action for salvation. Yeah, Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he talks about the man who was boasting about being married to his father's wife, his mother-in-law or something like that. And he says, this is not right. This is not how it should happen in the church. And so he commends the Christians to excommunicate the man, which he says, turn him over to Satan, uh, which would be to, to remove him from the assembly, especially from the communion, from the Lord's Supper. And so that practice of excommunication is turning someone over to Satan. In other words, we're saying, well, if you want to live in your sin, you got to live in your sin. Uh, that That is not, the Lord's mercy is not for those who want to abuse it, but for those who want to rejoice in it. Should we sin more that grace would abound? By no means. And so that's the, that's the thing that's going on there. I'm not sure we should ever do that as individuals. Uh, the, the Lord gives us the instructions in Matthew 18 that if someone sinned against us, we go to them, then we take a few elders, and then we, we tell it to the church. In other words, these kinds of serious decisions are not made by the individual Christian, but they're made by, we, we need the wisdom of, of other people to help us navigate this. Okay. Um, here, one more thing on the angels, and then that'll be probably a good spot to stop. And then we can kind of ask anything. We'll take off all the constraints here and stop the recording, but let me get some, through some of these verses here on the right. We have Luther's translation here on the left is the new King James. Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau and his, uh, his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them. Thus, you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant, Jacob, I've sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. And I have oxen, asses, flocks, manservants, maidservants, and I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. Um, Mal, uh, let's see, Malach, yeah, Malach, that's the messenger here. Ah, I know what's going on. This word messenger is the same word as here, angel. So in the Hebrew, it would say, and the messengers of God met him, and Jacob sent messengers before him. Malak is, the, is, is just the word for messenger. It's the same as in Greek, the word angelos. It just means messenger, but it's sometimes a human messenger and sometimes an angelic spirit. So you have to read by the context. And this is an important little kind of understanding of the angels here. The same word he used for naming the angels above, it is the name of an office, and not of a nature. For according to their office, angels are messengers, they're soldiers at a post and on guard for the whole world. But according to their nature, they are spirits. So the so there's spirit messengers, that's the angels, and there's human messengers, that would be a messenger, <laughs> I suppose. So that, the, yeah, so that the, the, if we want to talk about the nature of the angels, we call them spirits. 
They are ministering spirits. Okay, we'll stop right here. This is a good, again, a good spot because we want to kind of get the high of Jacob. Remember the vicissitudes, it's the highs and the lows. So he's definitely, he's a, it's a Laban is here and then angels that's here. And he, so he's like right here, he's flying high and, but he's about to, when Esau's coming with 400 men, what? I thought for sure he would be, it's been 20 years. I thought he would be over it. He's, he's, he hasn't lost anything. He still has his family and all the land and everything else. And here I am, 20 years of affliction. I thought it'd be he'd be happy about it. Now he's coming to destroy me. And it's in this here, in this deep valley, that Jacob is going to wrestle with the angel of the Lord. And uh, and that's when he becomes Israel. So we're we're right on the edge of that. So so let's stop there and uh and then we'll uh, take some questions. If you're, by the way, watching this recording, uh, encourage you to jump in live. So Wednesday mornings, we have uh, Worldwide Bible Class, wolfmuller.co slash Bible to get the link to join us live. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your care for Jacob and for us by your word. We pray that we would trust in the in the government that you execute through the angels and rejoice that you hold back the devil from destroying everything as he would. Uh, help us to know that you uh, order all things according to your good pleasure, and that one day we'll see it all in the light and joy of the angels. Until that time, grant us by your Spirit to have the wisdom to walk by faith and not by sight. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you.